morning, Zion. Good to see you guys. It's going to be good. <clears throat> One other quick announcement. We were supposed to have Father Matthias, the charismatic Catholic priest, speak here. And um, let's just say some things in their hierarchy have temporarily blocked it. And so uh, it looks like it's the pause button, not necessarily the stop button. So we're a little bit disappointed about that. But we'll, uh, I'll be speaking next week, so hopefully that will be a good second. Okay. Hey, a couple things here. We have some new friends that moved here with us uh, from from the uh, People's Republic of Alabama all the way here. And so Robert and Cheryl Ann, if you guys could stand up and wave everybody. Robert and Cheryl Ann Needham. Remember they spoke here about a year ago? Yeah. We're excited to have them here. And then Bethany Costello. Are you still here? I saw you. Where's she at? Bethany. Bethany. There she is. Bethany. And so, yes. And so her and Luke and their family, they're going and serving at uh, Pickerington Leading Worship out there. But it's always good to see you here. So good stuff. Well, I'm going to start off with a quote from Scott Willis. If you know Scott Willis, we call him Scott Hurricane Willis. For some reason, whenever he preaches, he can't stop using the word reefer. It's like, like, why did, like how do you work that into every sermon you've ever done? And so it's kind of like a running joke. So probably shouldn't have told you that because he'll probably speak here again. You're like, you'll just be listening for it. You'll start counting them. Like, like how do you, like, yeah. <clears throat> Here's what he said. Uh, this is when he was here in April. It is your choice whether or not you will suffer defeat. For you, Mama Dora, I'll say it again. <laughs> it is your choice whether or not you will suffer defeat. Elisha asked God to open up his servant's eyes so he could see the army of chariots of fire. All we have to do is open our eyes to see how many of God's are for us than, uh, than those who are against us. It is your choice to open your eyes or not. Wow. I want to talk to you today about mental health, a healthy mind. A healthy mind is one that thinks like God thinks. You know, it's interesting. It says that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. When we begin to see from our true perspective, a healthy mind is really one that sees reality. An ultimate reality is we are seated with Christ, and so we're actually seeing from a victorious position next to Dad. That's a healthy mind. All of our life originates in the way we think. Here's what Scripture says. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But guys, we cannot overestimate the importance of our thoughts. A lot of times people think, oh, yeah, yeah, positive thinking. Oh, that's that positive thinking. Well, I'll take positive thinking over negative thinking, but I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about heavenly thinking. Oh, Jim, you get so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I've never met that person yet. I met some people that were like, woo, but that's not necessarily heavenly minded. That's not grounded in ultimate reality. Listen to this quote from me. <clears throat> I'm sorry. We got this friend who posts quotes and then like puts his name after the quotes. I'm like, it's your own Facebook page. Like we know it's you. And then he'll take quotes that like are so popular that everybody says them all the time and then puts them as himself. Anyway, it's just funny. So as Jim Baker once said, your behavior is only the belated announcement of where you've been in your head for a long time. Your behavior is only the belated announcement of where you have been in your head for a long time. Don't tell me. I just don't know what came over me. I'll tell you what came over you. Your thoughts, they came over you. And what comes out of you is, been, is living out what's been on the inside for a long time. So if you're going to be in victorious in this life, we've got to have the, we've got to, the battleground is in our mind. This is where we've got to take some territory here. So if you turn me to 2 Chronicles, yes, Jim Baker is preaching from the Old Testament, and I just referred to myself in the third person. Right? It's just getting good up here. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and I'm going to go back to a couple other translations, but we'll be sticking to 2 Chronicles. 
This is the story of King Asa. He was a great king of Israel. Here's what it says. King Asa had an army of 300,000 warriors from the tribe of Judah, armed with large shields and spears. Then he also had an army of 280,000 warriors from the tribe of Benjamin, armed with small shields and bows. I don't know what these guys did to just get like the, the small shields and bows. I mean, they get, get like the garbage can lid. I mean, like, I don't know what they did to deserve that, but the other guys got bigger spears. And uh, both armies were composed of well-trained fighting men. Once an Ethiopian named Zerah attacked Judah with an army of one million men and 300 chariots. How many of you guys recognize there's a big discrepancy here between the two armies? One is large, one is small. They advanced to the town of Marisha. <clears throat> so Asa deployed his armies for battle in the valley north of Marisha. Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. This is huge. <clears throat> Help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. And that's interesting. Not prevail against us, prevail against you. We'll get into all this in a second. This is just awesome. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah, and the enemy fled. Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar, and so many Ethiopians fell that they were unable to rally. They were destroyed by the Lord and his army, and the army of Judah carried off a vast amount of plunder. Now, this has huge, huge lessons for us today. I just, I love this story. I come back to it over and over again. But when troubles come, the, come my way, the way, way that I begin to overcome them is the way that I look at the problem. So how do you see, I, everyone in here, you just came out of a problem, you're facing a problem, you're about to face a problem. So this is relevant to you. Okay, so how do you, here's a question, how do you see the problem? How do you see God's involvement in the problem? How do you expect God's involvement in the problem? You know, you guys recognize, this is all in your head. This is where the battle begins, right here. Until you see it from God's point of view, you're going nowhere. And so let's, let's get some lessons from King Asa. Asa, he was a good king. He had a fantastic record. He came into power and he took out all the idols out of the, uh, out of the earth. He took out all the bales where they were uh, offering their children as sacrifices. He, uh, they had these things called asherahs. I will not show you a picture of an asherah, but just picture a very obscene statue where they did very obscene things in worship of the statue. Enough said. In plain English, here's what it means. Asa got to power and he basically, um, he basically abolished abortion, threw out all pornography, and established justice in the land. Okay, so this is a great king. This, this is his history going into this battle. And suddenly, out of the blue, Zerah, this Ethiopian, marches on the borders of Judah, and he's trying to take it over. So how many of you guys know, things are going well, and all of a sudden, an enemy comes that you were not expecting, you did not ask for, it is no fault of your own, it's all of a sudden, boom. It's there, and it's big. So Asa's army was about half a million soldiers. They're carrying spears, bows, and arrows. Um, not the greatest weapons in the world. But Zerah says he had a million men. I think we're thinking, okay, you know, so it's about twice as many, you know. I mean, th that alone would be intimidating. <clears throat> but they had 300 chariots. Chariots in those days, I mean, they had like the big knives coming off of them, and they would just plow through men and just eat them right up. So Israel had no, picture swords and spears against tanks. Okay, like, like there's such an inequity. And when you, when you see the word million, it's not necessarily a number. It's the largest number they had in Hebrew. So like when you see in the book of Revelation when it says 10,000 upon 10,000 angels, what they did is they just took the largest number in Greek and they made it plural. Okay, so it's not an actual number. And so it's, it's almost like saying his, his armies were without number. So this is what Asa is facing. He's facing an army without number with sophisticated military weapons that they do not have. So, I mean, half of their army has got little bow and arrows, and these little shields. 
Well, they've got basically tanks of those days. So Asa looks at his, his half a million, and it looks like they've shrunk to a few hundred people. He does not have the ability. I want you to see this. Asa feels the bankruptcy of his own ability to accomplish victory in this situation. Okay? And I, I just know, you and I, we've been there. We've been in these situations where circumstance marches towards you. It's unexpected. You feel, you feel mugged. It does not make any sense. It could be the sudden loss of a loved one. It could be the job you had on Monday is not there on Friday. It could be the promotion that you knew was yours, but it got taken away by office politics. It could be a divorce. It could be one of those months where nothing big happens, but just a lot of small losses, and at the end of it, it just feels like you just feel overwhelmed. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? All right, good. I'm talking to the right crowd. So you had months and months of peace, and all of a sudden, it's ended, and it is bad. Asa needed at least double the strength, and he did not have it. He needs chariots, but there's no way they can go build chariots this quickly. You know how he felt. I know he felt. And over and over in your mind, you begin replaying this scene. Now, what if this happens? You begin going worst case scenario. You begin creating this movie in your head where you're the star of the movie and the hero is about to go down, right? You're rehearsing all these things in your head. What if this happens? Has anyone in here ever created a movie in their mind like that? The battle's in the mind. That's, that's where it is. It's natural, but we got to go beyond natural. So you turn to God. I can just almost imagine some of us just feeling like you just want to shake your fist at God and you say, listen, God, I've taken down the foreign altars. Like, I've gotten rid of the Baals. I've gotten rid of the Asherahs. Like, God, I'm doing the right things. Why is this happening to me? How many of you guys recognize God doesn't really answer the why questions? Why questions are typically victim questions. I'm powerless. God, why is this happening to me? There's the, guys, it may not be your fault, but you're responsible. It may not be your fault why you're in this situation, but guess what? No one is going to take charge of the situation of your life but you. I don't care if it was the devil. I don't care if it was a former spouse, a former employee. I don't care what the reason is. You are now in charge of that situation, and you're not alone. Remember, any situation that comes to you comes to the Christ in you, so you're never this powerless victim. You're an overcomer. If you're going to be an overcomer, you know what that means? You're going to have to have some things to overcome. Man, I thought when I, you know joined God's team, that everything was just going to be like rose parades and, you know, hot fudge Sundays and people loving me. That's not what you signed up for. You were lied to. It's a battle. It's an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's going to start planning those thoughts. And so the victory begins in our mind. Have you ever screamed at God like that and you begin to make deals with God? Have you ever done that? I remember one time, I'm not really like an outdoorsman type person, and so somehow my brother-in-law and my father got me to go deep sea fishing. And so we're out in the Bahamas, and the day before, the storm was so bad, they weren't sure they were going to let boats out that morning because the swells were so big. And so uh, we, we got on the boat. <clears throat> and so we're there, and so it hit my brother-in-law first, and so he's uh, over the side of the boat feeding the fish <clears throat> from the inside. And so... I'm making fun of him. I'm like, hey, man, I think I see a Taco Bell up there. Maybe we can stop by. Oh, and he's running over to the side, you know. And all of a sudden, it hit me. And it wasn't so funny. It's like, I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it felt like my insides wanted to be on my outside, you know, all of a sudden, like one of those type of things. And so I remember, uh, I remember sitting down and praying in tongues and trying to look at the horizon. I don't know if that's like a thing that you do, but it felt like if I had like a focal point that somehow it would like the... The vertigo and the turbulence would leave somehow, and I began making deals with God. I really did. It was terrible. I'm like, God, if you get me out of this, I will try to triple tithe. Like, like God, I will volunteer in the nursery. Like, I will go to that malaria-filled swamp in Africa. Like, I began making these deals with God, right? I mean, you guys recognize 
Those don't work. The only deal with God was the one that God made with Jesus. You guys know the new covenant isn't between God and man. It's between God and Jesus, which means there's nothing we can do to screw it up. There's only the way, all we can do is believe. Your behavior does not screw up the new covenant. Your beliefs screw up the new covenant. I remember picking up one of my kids when they were little from the church nursery. And this, there was another kid there, and his parents were leaving, and somehow they had lost the blanket. So somewhere between the car and the nursery, or somehow it got lit. And this kid is throwing a nuclear meltdown, Olympic-level fit. And he is screaming, I want my blanket. And there's nothing they can do to comfort him and get the blanket. I mean, he is, it, it looked like they were filleting him alive. It was like, it was like he was being tortured or something like this. And just the howls and the screams that were coming were unbelievable. And what this kid was basically saying is, I don't want this situation. I want this to unhappen. And maybe if I throw a fit long enough, it will unhappen. I've seen so many Christians do this. If you approach this situation wanting it to unhappen, you're locked in some fantasy realm, not faith realm. If you begin spending all this mental energy, why is this happening to me? I wish this didn't happen. I want my blanket back. I want my old life back. Can I just go back to how it was? No, there's no time travel. You see what I'm saying? All this mental energy, and if I could just, you know, if I, you know so what people do is they, um, they begin to either go into the fantasy realm or they get lost in work. Then I can ignore what's happening at home. Maybe if I spend all my time in this hobby. Maybe if I try to drink my way to sorrow. Maybe somehow I'll get my blanket back. We don't want to look at this horrible thing that's happened. A person finds a lump, and they don't want to go to the doctor because they're afraid what the doctor might say. So they close their eyes and pretend, and they hope, that if I just hope hard enough, maybe it will go away. But Zera and his troops begin to march forward more and more. Let's learn the lesson from Asa. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 14.9 again. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million and 300 chariots and came as far as Russia. And I love this. And Asa went out to meet him. Those are monumental words. It didn't say, Asa shut his eyes and pretended Zerah wasn't there. He faced the fact that there was an enemy standing at his border and it wasn't going away. He's saying, I can't run away. I can't wish that it was yesterday. I've got to go and face my nightmare. Verse 10. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephatha, <clears throat> whatever you say, and Maresha. So Asa carried his pathetic half-million army with no chariots to stand at the valley just across the way from this enemy uh, with one million men. With, you can just see their war horses just pawing, just ready for battle. It kind of reminds me of those scenes from like Braveheart where they line up like these impossible odds or like every battle scene from uh, Lord of the Rings. It was just like, oh my God. Like you just see the overwhelming hordes and hordes and hordes. That's what it's like. It's like, it's absolutely impossible. Guys, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Here's what that means. He's going to have you face reality as it really is and not try to sugarcoat it. So I, we get these little cute Christian phrases that try to sugarcoat it. If we believe the cute Christian phrase, it'd be powerful. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And it's not really life that's coming from our heart. It's just this cute little phrase we're trying to say to pacify ourselves. Right? I'm believing. I'm, you know. Well, I guess all I can do is pray. Well, has it come to that? That we've gotten so low that we have to pray. And that's, you know what I'm saying? It's like these Christian phrases. It's like, what is happening here? But when the Holy Spirit is influencing my mind, I'm able to face reality. I'm not running from it. I'm not wishing it away. So Asa, he chose to accept and face this nightmare. Some of you might be thinking, Jim, I think, I think I misheard you. Did you just say choose to accept it? 
I mean, you've, you've got to be kidding. I didn't choose this. It was thrust upon me. This was not my plan. I don't want this evil. It's ugly. Don't stand there and say and choose it. <clears throat> I did say choose it. You did hear me correctly. You're choosing to accept it because, again, if you have this attitude that these things are just dumped on me, I'm just this pincushion. God, why are you doing this to me? Like God's this big bully up there with a magnifying glass. Remember Bruce Almighty? That's not God. You're just a pathetic victim. But if you rise up and choose to accept the situation, you say, you know what? In this situation, I'm going to find the glory of God. I think a lot of us, we get, you know, we get this rapture mentality, like this Star Trek first, beam me up, Scotty. Like, get me out of this situation. You just, listen, sometimes God will deliver you from this situation, but most often he will deliver you in the middle of the situation. There was three Hebrew children that would have missed the opportunity of a lifetime to walk with the fourth man in the furnace, who looked like the Son of God, to come out uh, not even smelling like smoke and turn a nation's heart towards the, to, towards the one true God in one day. They could have said, beam me up, get me out of here, make this fire go out. But sometimes God wants to deliver you in the middle of the furnace instead of away from the furnace. Us charismatics, we get deliverance crazy. Get me out of here. I don't want this bad thing. You need to recognize sometimes God wants you to go right in the middle of it, and that's where his glory is going to be. Even things that weren't his will. You guys understand, not everything that happens is God's will. This isn't some cosmic play, and we're just a bunch of actors. There's evil in this world that didn't happen according to God's plan, and he wants you to face it with him, and in all things, he works together for good. It didn't say all things are good. Oh, this was God's plan. No, no, no. In everything, God works for the good, right in the middle of that stench. So no more Star Trek prayers. Get me out of here. No rapture practice. How many of you guys remember the rapture practice in the 70s and 80s? Oh, my goodness. like... Leaving, practicing leaving. I'm like, I, I refuse to participate that in that, even as a child. I, like, I could see through that. This is foolishness. So before, hold on, this is good. If you choose to accept this, you'll choose to see that this is the area where God wants to be glorified. Then you'll be the master of the situation. God, get me out of here. Why is this happening to me? Victim. Does anyone enjoy being around victims? Doesn't that just energize you? You're like, man, I just love this victim mentality. Like, like keep complaining. Tell, tell me how bad it is. I don't know about you, hopeless people. Like, I have, I'm like the, one of the biggest grace guys you'll ever meet. Like, people, they can do terrible things to me. I'm still loving you. You come at me with hopelessness. I don't know what happens. Like, all the grace leaves me. Like, Mary picks up the grace. She's like, Jim, you can't be. I'm like, like, I cannot be around that person. Like, they're sucking the life out of me with their hopelessness. Do they not recognize, like, that they've been made one with the three and one, like the Trinity's living on the inside of them. They've got the new covenant. Like, well, obviously they don't. But anyway. So if you're hopeless, go to my wife. Don't come to me. <laughs> or go to Sean. He's not here. Let's blame it on Sean. Let's blame it on Sean. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I'm just a victim of that. I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I can't do anything about it. We want God to just wipe our enemies out, wipe our enemies out, but God doesn't do that. Here's what God says. Listen, God says, it's their show. They're the ones initiating this, but I'm going to take it over and make my show, and on their stage, I'll be glorified. God becomes the producer of their movie. One of the greatest stories in the Bible is about that. The brothers of Joseph, they kidnap him. It's evil. It's ugly what they're doing. Their motives are rotten to the core. All of the actors in the story are evil. <laughs> 
What does God do? Does he blow them away? No, God says, I'm going to become the producer of your show, and I'm going to put a little twist in there that they never saw coming. And that show that the brothers had cooked up, became that, that, that stumbling block became a stepping stone right into Joseph's destiny. That sounds like a neat little thing. That sounds like a black preacher. When your stumbling block becomes a stepping stone. That didn't sound like a black preacher, but it just, that's all I got. When you're this white, that's as good as it gets. Remember the story of Haman. He set up the stage and he put the gallows on it and he said the Jews will be swinging from these gallows. They're going to be hung. And God put the twist on it. It was Haman who was hung by his very evil plot. God took over and became the producer of that. How many times are we reading the Psalms? The pit that the enemy dug for me, they have fallen into themselves. The net they've spread for my feet, they've tripped upon themselves. Look, and it doesn't say God took away the net or filled in the pit. It says he used it for his triumph and he will use your life to bless others through this mess. But he does not do it without our active cooperation. If I'm crying for my blanket, I'm going to miss what God is doing. I know all we, sometimes all you can see is evil. All you can see on the horizon is filled with Zerah and his army and I keep seeing those chariots in my mind. But I choose to believe that this stage is God's stage and Zerah is going to regret the day he ever came to the gates of Judah. And Judah is going to rejoice that he did. And because of this, good will come up and God will swallow all your fears. Are you guys getting the picture? Some of us have been crying for our blankets so long we can't even see the fact that there's more with us than are with them. Sometimes it comes at you and it's not right and God can turn it for good anyway. I remember in May 2009, my sister passed away from breast cancer. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years. And uh, it, was, it was wrong in every way. It was wrong in every single way. And uh, we, we prayed to raise her from the dead. We did everything we knew how. It didn't happen. I'm not going to give you all the details on that. But we had a choice. We're going to say, God, why is this happening? This isn't fair. You've called us to walk in healing. We've got this covenant. And just be... Not helpful, guys. But you, sometimes you can use that disappointment as fuel for your fire. Here's what the Bible says. It says, if you catch a thief, he's got to repay you seven times. So when Kim didn't come back, we said, okay, God, we don't understand this, but we know that steal, kill, and destroy is someone else's job description. Because the cancer wasn't from God. I remember someone was like, God needed another angel. I just wanted to smack him in the face. I know they were trying to be good. God didn't need another angel. He's got plenty. Heaven wasn't short some help. But here's what happened, guys, is we've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of stage four cancer healings. It became, that disappointment became fuel for us to say, listen, I don't care what I see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. If it's in his book, it's got to be in my life. And there's a church full of people that stood with that. I mean, those are some of those most precious memories that Mary and I have. I remember Kevin Costello and, and Ann and Chuck and Mary Warner coming up to the funeral, and the whole church stood with us. And it felt like we collectively decided, you know what, we're still going to go for it. This changes nothing in the book. Guys, sometimes you just got to draw a line and say, I don't understand, but I, here's what I do know, you're good. In the middle of this thing, you haven't left me. Guys, in the last month, we've had four stage four cancer testimonies. Four in the last four weeks. Guys, I think I went 40 years without hearing four stage four cancer testimonies. We had, that's just been the last month. So I think it was uh, uterine cancer, lymphoma, bone, 
And uh, I can't remember the fourth one. I'm sorry. So, so let's just do this. If you've got a loved one who has cancer, if you're listening on live stream or on podcast, or you're sitting here with cancer, uh, that's a zero that's marched up to your door that you didn't ask for. I don't care if you've had bad lifestyle choices, bad genetics. It does not belong to you. He carried it so you don't have to. Guys, don't put up with a headache, let alone cancer. So right now, Father, we just release the healing power of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for those testimonies of those lives changed, those dynasties changed because you came into stage four cancer and you healed. Something that was not your will, you absolutely overwhelmed it. So we speak the name of Jesus, the name above every name. Every cancer you must leave. Carol Lee, I speak to your body right now in the name of Jesus. I command you to be restored and made whole because of what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, you're wonderful. Cancer will no longer be the Goliath that taunts the armies of the living God. The name above that name is Jesus. So Holy Spirit, let healing flow right now into every body that's listening to this. In Jesus' name. Asa's attitude when he went out to met Zerah was he had made the choice to take on this situation. He said, listen, no one puts this on me. I'm not the victim. Do not pity me. Pity the enemy. Guys, you understand what's about to happen to the enemy. He didn't run from the situation. He faces it. The person who prays before they've accepted that this is the place where God's going to work, all your prayers are, God, make it go away. Until you accept the fact that, okay, God is going to use me. Here's where I'm at, so God's going to meet me right here. Until you accept that, all your prayers are going to be, get me out of here, reverse the past, make it go away. But once you've accepted that, listen to uh, Asa's prayer. Because now he recognizes, I'm in this with God. Verse 11, then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. He owned his helplessness. Guys, weak is the new strong in the kingdom. Help us, O Lord, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. Not against us, against you. We're going to get to this in a second. He called Zerah's army mighty and his army powerless. Some translations say we are weak. I want you to get that. He owned before God and his men, I'm utterly helpless. I want you to see, when you've got an army, they're looking for a bold, strong leader. And what does this bold, strong leader do? He gets on his face before all of his armies and says, we don't have the resources for this situation, but you do. That's amazing leadership right there. Not to fake it till you make it and hype up the troops. And that's what they do in all the movies. You know, they're, they're riding by on their horses in front of them. And they're like, this will not be the day when we fall. Right? They're, they're, they're trying to have them dig within. You don't need to dig deep. You don't have to go very far. He's right there. He owned his helplessness. People are afraid to say, I can't handle this situation. They're afraid of appearing weak. You and I are like the toys from the store that say batteries not included. Like, like the toys do not work as they're supposed to without the batteries. You and I do not work without God included. When you're trying to do something in your own strength, it's like a car without gasoline, except for the Tesla. God bless the Tesla. Man, that thing is sexy. Sorry. Hit the pause button. Pause button. 
Much of life we go on, we go on as if we can handle it without God. But every so often you get a Zara marching towards you that reminds you of reality. I can't handle life without God. Guys, us depending on God did not come in the fall of man. That's how we were created. It's not like, oh, we used to be able to do it on our own. Now we fell and we really need God. We've needed him the whole time. If you don't work without batteries, you shouldn't be afraid to ask for them. There's no shame to me that I'm weak. Spiritual maturity is not feeling so strong that you can do it without God. Spiritual maturity is feeling so weak that you can't live without him. Okay, I'll say it again, even though, even though nobody asked. I'm trying to get that Tesla comment out of your head. Spiritual maturity is not feeling so strong that you can do it without God. Spiritual maturity is feeling so weak that you can't live without him. I like how Paul said, it's when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When you hear that kind of thing, it doesn't make sense to our human brains. It's like, okay, when I'm sitting, that's when I'm standing. Like, like no, no, no. It's when I recognize my weakness, his strength can invade. God can invade the situation of a person who recognizes they're weak. I feel like this is good stuff here. If you've ever been in quicksand, you know the best thing you can do is stop struggling because your only hope is from the outside. And when I'm in the troubles of life, I will not struggle to be strong. I will recognize that my strength is found outside in God alone. The, hope for, uh, the foundation for Asa's hope was in this covenant. Here's what a covenant was, is when two parties come together, it was always with a weaker, with, uh, always with a stronger, with a weaker, and the stronger says, I will swallow up all your weakness and my strength, and I will cover your weakness with my strength. So whenever someone fights against you, they're not fighting against you, they're fighting against me. All of my resources will come to bear on your situation because we are in covenant. So listen to, uh, I love how um, Asa says it, O Lord, our God. That's personal possession. He doesn't say, O Lord, God. It's, O Lord, our God. He's recognizing his covenant. You've given yourself to us. You've pledged yourself to us. You said that you would die before. This is what it means. The reason they shed blood is because it says, I would rather die than break this covenant with you. He's saying, God, you would rather die than fail us. Can you imagine walking into a situation saying, God would rather die than fail me because I have a covenant? You can. God says, I would rather die than fail you. That's why I shed blood to show you how serious I was. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. One translation says, let not men prevail against you. He's saying that you've so given yourself to us that for them to conquer us, they would have to conquer you. God has so committed himself to us that for us to be overcome is for God to be shamed. I'm just going to keep going here. God has so committed himself to us that for us to be overcome, God would have to be shamed. I like how he calls this the apple of his eye. Have you ever gotten a speck in your eye? Like all of your focus, all of your attention, all of your strength goes to getting that little speck out, right? God says, you are the apple of his eye. When anyone comes against that apple of his eye, all of his strength, all of his focus, all of his resources are ready to stand behind the person, waiting for you to acknowledge your weakness so he can invade that situation. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. In the Bible times, name wasn't like, just like a, like a nickname. <clears throat> like, you know, like, like come up with nicknames, like, you know, I, I can't think of any names right now. Like, hey, Stinky. You know, like, you know, like, like uh, that tells about their character probably a little bit, you know. And, and so, I don't actually know anyone named Stinky, but uh, anyway. 
But throughout Scripture, see, in the Bible, when God revealed his name, he was telling them who he was and who he wanted to be for them. He wasn't just like giving them some things to call them. It was a revelation of his character. You go through the Psalms. Uh, so Asa had, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He had the, the stories of the kings. He had the stories of the Psalms where David had said, you are our protector. He's saying, God, I, when Asa sang this, he's saying, I know your name. I know your track record. You're our refuge. You're our strong tower. You're our shield. You're bigger than them. I know your name, and it's in your name, and it's because of who you are that you will come into this nightmare and bring it for your glory. And then we get one of those tantalizing scriptures where it doesn't tell you how it happens. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Like, I don't know about you. Like, I want to know what happened. Like, what happened? Like, we get this one sentence, and you just kind of conjure up these pictures. How did one million men and 300 chariots begin to flee before Asa? It talks about the next battle. It says the terror of the Lord came upon them. We see in that one battle where, uh, where it says um, God caused their hearts to melt like wax. And in, some, in other battles, people are, end up killing each other. The enemy's killing. Like, we don't know, though, in this one. Verse 12. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians. I'm almost done for you time-sensitive people. <clears throat> so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken, ready for this, before the Lord and his army. I love this. God defeats the army. Then he says, Asa uh, chases them. Then he brings it together and says, hey, we did this whole thing together. It's it's, it's a beautiful picture of co-laboring. Co-laboring in the kingdom is a lot like power steering. I act and God acts with me. If I don't act, he won't act with me. Because we don't take, listen, remember Moses, he's standing in front of the Red Sea. It wasn't until he stretched out his staff that the thing parted. It didn't part, and Moses was like, hey, look at this. <laughs> right? We act, and God acts with us. And sometimes that act is to stand in front of that line and say, God, I'm expecting you to invade. I'm waiting for the next move. Whoa, and he moves. And you're like, hey, I'm getting in on it. Part of the covenant that Asa knew said this in Leviticus 26. I'm quoting Leviticus, guys. Something's happening, gang. Leviticus 26, 8 and 9. Five of you shall chase a hundred. And a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. What's he doing? He's tapping into his covenant. Verse 9. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. I don't know how that works. I don't know how the widow of Zarephath, she just got this empty jar and she goes into it with a little bit of flour and oil, and she uh, goes in there, and she emptied it at breakfast, and she goes back at lunch, and she knows it's empty, and there's supernatural supply. Three meals a day for two and a half years. What is it? 2,300 meals she makes out of an empty barrel. I don't know how it happens. I cannot tell you how uh, we have strength when we don't have strength, and we have wisdom when we don't have wisdom. I remember one time, <clears throat> my wife and I, we had been uh, doing real estate for a couple years, and then we... Uh, we stopped, so we, we took the job. We, were, we felt like God called us back into vocational ministry at a church. So I stopped doing the real estate, so we didn't have income for a couple months. And so something interesting happened. It doesn't even fit my theology. Like, if someone told me this, I'd be like, no, that's not how God works. Like, seriously, if someone told me this testimony I'm about to tell you, I would say, no, no, God doesn't work that way. Here's what he did. As we had a certain amount of money in our, our bank account. Let's just say it was $10,000. I don't know what it was. And so for three months... All the bills uh, came, and they were clearing in the checking account, but the $10,000 uh, amount never went down. 
From the, so from the time we said yes to God, where we'll, we'll stop doing real estate, to the time we started getting paid at Zion, all of our bills kept clearing, but the account balance never went down. I'm, so I'm calling the bank. I'm like, hey, like, I think, think something screwed up here in the thing. They're like, no, everything's fine. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. So after two months of that, my lightning fast mind's like, hey, Mary, I think we're in the middle of a miracle here. I don't know how Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes and makes it into 12 basketfuls. And I don't know how uh, one time we went to Better Way, a ministry here in Columbus, and uh, we had the multiplication of food. Here's the email I got. Yes, the food was multiplied. It was so cool. I just love that. <laughs> Originally, I thought we weren't going to have enough crock pots to feed everyone. It was, it was, we were doing a service for like the homeless and, and stuff like that. So we started handing out food, and I noticed the crock pots weren't emptying at all. They were like getting fuller. We started piling the food on the plates, and there was so much, people had trouble carrying it to the table. Spaghetti, meatballs, peaches, salad, pie, and cookies. Apparently, they weren't on the paleo diet, apparently, there. There's a little over 90 people all together. This person's name, and I went around to hand out cookies because there was so much extra. We ended up with extra pie, cookies, peaches, and two full crockpots. I don't know how it happens. But all of your victory, which is found in the covenant, it works out in your head. That's where the whole thing is worked out. We choose to accept where we're at. We acknowledge our helplessness. We know God loves me unconditionally, whether I've been good or bad. I've done it all right. God loves you. Your covenant is not dependent on your behavior. So, God, here I am. We'll face this thing together, but I've got a covenant. You know what this is really? It's repentance. Repentance means change the way you're thinking. Look at things from God's perspective. Repentance says, I can. Faith says, I'm sorry. Repentance says, I can't. Faith says, I can with God. Let's go. When I'm crying for my blanket, I can't have faith because that's a form of despair. It's only when I accept life without the blanket. Now I can have faith that yields me a life better than the blanket. Is that good? Some of you are like, I want my blanket back. That's a different sermon. <laughs> it's not the sermon. So here's what I want to do. If we could have our ushers and usherettes, because we're a very progressive church. <laughs> if you guys could come forward, we're going, to, uh, we're going to receive communion. And I want you guys, uh, we're, we're going to take it together. And so if, uh, so if we guys just have you stand across the front, maybe you guys could come and grab it. And, uh, but I want us to take the communion in remembrance of our covenant as we're getting ready to face a giant. So if, you, if you're facing something, we're going to take communion with this in mind, okay? And so just hold it until we get it. And I'll spend it with you, so.